Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by John Collins, originally from Detroit, Michigan. John now calls Atlanta home. He is an author, activist, freelance writer, actor, playwright, and award-winning LGBTQ slam poet. John began writing at the age of 15, keeping a small journal that held many questions surrounding his sexuality versus religious doctrine. He was motivated by an English teacher who encouraged him to use his talent as a storyteller to capture a glimpse of the world through his own personal life experiences as a queer man of color. He attended Southern Illinois University studying healthcare management. An Army brat, John also pursued a career in the military. He is a decorated Navy combat veteran who served eight years active duty and six years active reserve duty before accepting an honorable discharge in 2012. The idea of writing a novel came about after he wrote a three-page essay illustrating the outcome of his parents discovering he was same-gender loving. He began the manuscript Virgin to the Life in early 2007. He self-published his first of a series of works in 2013. His follow-up novel, Sounds of Burned Silence, was released in 2014. The third installment, Poetic Violence, added more depth to the series. God Ain't Call Me Fag is his fourth book and a departure from the series. It challenges the reader to explore what do you look like to God, free from what you've been called, free from what you've been told to be, free from the contradictory words of man versus God. John's literary work and activism seeks to promote self-love by being honest, open, and connected. His mission statement is to be the creative voice that expresses, inspires, and captures the full representation of same gender loving communities of color and beyond. John is actively developing new prose and poetry for his growing following, which covers a vast array of topics helping to reaffirm the unique identities of black gay men and how they perceive themselves. John, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm doing great, Michelle. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, you know, we already talked about it. No matter where you go, you'll always be from Motown first. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, how long have you... That's right. How long have you been away from Detroit? Um, For some years. Um, I 
we left when I was eight. My dad joined the Army when I was eight years old, and um, they mm-hmm. used to send us back every summer um, before we left to go overseas. Um, so I don't get home that often. I think the last time I was home, maybe it's probably going on five years now, so it's been a minute. I do need to make a trip back. <laughs> yeah, you got to come back and visit us. You definitely yeah, have I do. To come back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you were traveling about, I said you're an Army brat. I know you're the oldest. You were yes. that Army brat, and you went from place to place, but you kept a journal. Um, when did, what made you start to keep a journal? And, you know, how did that help in that moving from place to place to place to, to help you, you know, stay on you? Um, I think it really started when I was around, like, 15 or so, um, maybe my freshman year of high school, actually, probably going into the sophomore year. I started um, really getting in tune with my sexuality and, and just trying to figure out, you know, who I was and what this gay thing was and, why it was so wrong um, outside of what, you know, parents would say or church or society would say. Um, I kind of wanted to figure that out for myself. Um, so I started reading James Baldwin, um, Langston Hughes, things of, that, um, things of that nature, and just felt like I had something to say as well because a lot of the prose that I was reading, I didn't see, you know, myself in the pages of, of what I was reading. So I posed, you know, asking my own self-questions to God and things of that nature, and it, was, it just became a conversation that I, would, I started to have in that journal and um, answering things for myself and just kind of figuring out life as a young gay boy <laughs> coming into a man, mm-hmm. into manhood. So that's kind of how, how it started. Impo- mm-hmm. How important it was for you to find those authors, those books, and then – and in inspiring you to make sure that, you know, the story from your perspective was told? I think it's very important. Representation um, is key to show you what you can become or what you can do or to challenge what's been presented to you. So reading, um, you know, James Baldwin and finding out that Langston Hughes (laughs) was homosexual through – I think it was a poem called Sailor Boy that I read um, by Langston Hughes, and I was like, oh, my God. You know, he's talking about wanting to kiss this sailor that he sees in Fleet Week in New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I read that mm-hmm. poem, I was like, he's gay? Oh, my God. So just to kind of see that there were other artists and other people writing about these things during a time frame where it was more than just, um, you know, civil rights act, you know, movements going on, it was – you know, life was happening, changes were happening, wars were happening, but these people were still able to be themselves and find, you know, solace in expressing that. So that's what inspired me. Now, the English teacher who encouraged you, did he know you were gay? Um, I don't think he knew that I was gay. I think I came out to him in a roundabout way without out of myself. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he basically was just like, well, you need to kind of, you know, in order for you to get in touch with um, what it is that you're you're seeking, these answers to these questions that you're you're vaguely asking me, maybe you need to journal. Maybe you need to dig deeper into that and figure out what that's about. And so that's kind of how his Mm -hmm. inspiration kind of just charged me as well, so. 
But, you know, but then, okay, but you were aware and you had started journaling and you started looking for yourself, but then you joined the military. Now, we know, you know, know, the military, (laughs) even when they had Don't Ask, Don't Tell and everything, wasn't really, you know, the place for, I mean, I've had guests who have said that they went there to sort of see, like, am I really gay? This is going to even make me, you know, man up Uh or not. But when you went into the military, um, what was your what was your I, your thoughts on going into the military, and how what did you feel that you needed to do as part of to protect this same gender loving man who mm-hmm. you were writing about and journaling about and growing to become? Well, the reason why I joined the military was because my parents, you know, they found out that I was gay, and I felt like, and they found out through that journal. <laughs> I was probably mm-hmm. around maybe 16, 17 years old when they found out, so maybe junior year of, of high school. And um, at that point, I felt like, okay, they're about to kick me out. We were living overseas in Germany at the time, so I just, my mind was, it was fight or flight at that point in time. So the military was the quickest way to, you know, have money for school, also be able to provide for myself and get out of my parents' home. So mm-hmm. that was my reasoning behind joining the military. Um, now, while I was in, you know, it was, I treated it as a job. You know, I was working in medical, so, you know, I wasn't in harm's way, but I could be in harm's way based off of the, the units that I was attached to. But it really just became when I was at work and in that uniform, that's what it was, you know. And I knew, you know, there were certain people that I couldn't, you know, express my full self to. Um, and I knew there were people that I could. So you just kind of figure out who you can trust, you know, within your circle of, you know, comrades, and you just treat it as a job. You know, and then when you leave, you hopefully get to go home and do what you, you know, feel like mm-hmm. doing. But for the most part, I didn't have a hard time with um, with the whole gay thing in the military. So, but there are stories that, of guys that I do know who have, but mm-hmm. that wasn't my, you know, a case for me, so. Well, I mean, you know, but then you stayed on and you did six years of active reserve duty. So, yeah. you know, and it was, you know, and was that just like, because I have friends who are reserved, and, you know, like I said, it's like that part-time job you do every now and then. But there's also mm-hmm. that camaraderie with some of the people who you're in. Yes, and I did have that. Um, I missed, you know, being active duty. The reason there was kind of a bureaucracy of why, you know, um, a lot of people got out of the military during the time frame that I did based off of mm-hmm. Um, them downsizing and things of that nature. So I was a part of that group that was downsized from active duty um, based off of certain criteria that you had to meet. Or if you, and if you didn't meet it, then you were a part of that fold. So I ended up, based off of my obligation, I still ended up needing to uh, serve more time in the reserve or pay that time that I did still owe in the reserves. And I just kind of stayed on until I was just ready to, you know, do something else. So it no. it served uh, several purposes, but yeah. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I think it, it's interesting. Now you are army brat, but you joined the navy. How right. did that go down with you? I mean, you know, they were. I know. Mean, they were already a little <laughs> cranked about you coming out, but then you were you were come an army family, and you wouldn't join the navy. <laughs> <laughs> 
me and my dad, we still had that go army, go navy, you know, rivalry every every now and then, um, especially during our morning checks. But um, my dad didn't want me to join the military. Period. Um, he wanted mm-hmm. me to go to school, and you know, he was going to help pay for it and things of that nature. But I felt like, you know, as soon as you find out that I'm doing something gay, then you're going to snatch the first strings away from me. So then, what am I going to do at that point? So. For me, it you know, I took the onus of, okay, I need to take control of, you know, my life, even though I'm giving my life to, you know, the U.S. government, but I need to make, you know, some moves for myself to make sure that I'm securing my future and that, you know, nothing will, you know, no rug is being pulled up under my feet. So mm-hmm. he didn't want me to join any branch, but, you know, he respected my decision and it just mm-hmm. – now, it's, yeah, interesting how it you, mm-hmm. it's interesting how you said they found out by reading that journal. And I've had other people who have said, you know, well, that's how it happened. And uh, and there's like, it was like, it wasn't, it was and it wasn't an invasion of privacy. It was sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, how did you feel? I mean, did you just come home one day and they were like sitting here, um, son, uh, we've been reading this. <laughs> You know, and, how to, and, and, you know, I mean, and, and I know that when you journal, you show your innermost thoughts. Do you oh think that that helped them long-term understand you better than if you had just walked in and said, I got something to tell you, I'm gay, deal with it? You know? No, that journal was really for me. It wasn't for anybody else to find. It was something that I carried with myself. You know, all the time until that I woke up one morning late for school um, and had to, you know, hurry up to get dressed, catch the bus. And um, it was sitting on my bed up under my book bag, which, and on top of my book bag, I had my coat. So when I came back in my room after, you know, doing morning routine, I just, you know, threw my coat on, grabbed my bag, and then I ran out the door, not realizing that I left my journal there. Hmm. For whatever reason, you know, my mother, her spidey senses went off. Um, she was already, you know, <laughs> trying to find some evidence of there's something going on with my child, you know, you know, let me see, you know, what's going on. And I guess she saw the journal, picked it up, started reading what was in it, and um, that's pretty much, you know, how she found out. Um, mm-hmm. She ended up coming up to the school, journal and <laughs> so. Oh, no. <laughs> Yes. Uh-huh. I got uh-huh. pulled out of class. I would never it was two forty two in the afternoon. <laughs> so I got pulled out of the class. Um I had a bad feeling all day, like just something just didn't feel right, especially when I realized, oh my God, I left it at home. And so when I walked, you know, towards the principal's office, there she was standing outside the door and she was like, Go get your stuff And um I turned around <laughs> Oh. Grabbed my things, got in the car. She threw my journal in my lap and just went for it. So that's my coming out story. Wow! I mean, I can yeah. just imagine, you know, because any kid, the worst thing to do is to see your parents show up there. But knowing, you know, what what <laughs> the bombshell was there, I can imagine. You see her standing there. Did she have a hand on her hip? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she did. I'm sure she did. All I remember was her face. Go get your stuff. And she did an about face and walked out the building. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, what's about to go down, you know. So I just remember some of the stuff I said. Like, you know, the first page was, I admit it, I'm gay. 
I mean, in big bold mm-hmm. letters. So that right there told her everything that she needed to know. Now, what she read past that, I, you know, sometimes I still look back and I'm like, oh, I wonder if she read, you know, da 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 da, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it sounds like because you talk about now how and you left to join the navy because you thought they were going to put you out, but then you talked a little bit about how you and your dad go back and forth about army navy, but it looks mm-hmm. like it came full circle. I mean, like you were you were able to have a good relationship. Yeah, um, me and my dad, like, it's a total 360 now to where, you know, he we – a lot of the questions that I had, you know, in my head about what we would talk about as I got older, um, maybe got into relationships and things of that nature, he's brought to my attention. Um, he's brought those questions to me. So it's – Initially, it was weird to start having those conversations. And this is um, actually within the last three or four years that, you know, we've been able to, you know, talk about um, me being gay and how he felt about it and, you know, his reasoning behind um, not wanting me to have that quote-unquote lifestyle. And then he even asked Uh the question, you know, is that the wrong term, you know, so – no. Uh-huh. <laughs> to have, you know, my dad be able to say the word gay and his son in the same sentence and not cringe or pause or hesitate is like, wow, you know. So, um, me and my mom, that's a different story. <laughs> We're uh-huh. good, but she doesn't, we don't really talk about it. And I think, you know, it's slowly coming to that point where she may start to ask her question. And I'm, I'm more than ready to, to do that, but. Yeah, so that's where we are now. But our relationships mm-hmm. are are good now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, being a military man, was your father able, like, to separate the gay part from seeing you as a military man and sort of go, like, you know, yeah, my son served the country, you know? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. I've never asked him that question, but I don't think what he did tell me, he said he's never looked at me as his gay son. You know, he's mm. always looked at me as his son. Um, he made sure that he told me that. Um, you know, he doesn't look at me any different. He said he had to mourn the loss of the child that he had in his head, you know, mm. uh, what I'd become, you know, the dreams that he had for me to realize that I have my own and I have to live my life for me. Um, so he doesn't look at the whole gay thing as the end all to be all. It's that's my son. God loves him, and so do I. So that's kind of what we mm-hmm. see there. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. You know, and it's interesting because often you have those relationships with your parents. And, you know, if you stop and you look at, here you are, you know, mm-hmm. you you went to school, you served in the military, you're an author, you're a freelance writer, you're an active, division award-winning slam poet. I mean, it's like, you know, so much to be proud of, and I think that they, <laughs> yeah. you know, you often want to say to it, like, you know, hey, look at me, and you know, get beyond <laughs> that, you know, right? Am I not, you know, all the things that you dreamt about for your child? I mean, look at what I've done, and so that right. that to me is like so often when I tell people, you know, I hear people will say that, and I'll go like, you know, but you're a great person, and surely after a while. In fact, I know that at one point my mother had said, you know, after the shock, you know, mm-hmm. oh, God, <laughs> you know, it was like right. she looked at the person that I was, and she said, you know what, 
that's my daughter. I'm proud of her, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And my dad, it was the same thing with him. You know, he tells me that all the time. So um, it's such, it is a great blessing to have. Mm-hmm. So when you, you had written a journal, I mean, clearly, like, you, you had this in mind, but it said that had you ever thought of, I know you wrote this three-page story talking about the outcome of, of your parents discovering that you were gay, mm-hmm. but had you before that thought about, you know, a career writing? Um, not so, I always had that as a dream of mine. Um, I wanted to do, like, a magazine, like uh, The Source magazine, that's that's mm. that was my dream to have something that rival vibe in the source. Uh, so writing was always something that I wanted to do. I just didn't know how I was going to go about doing it until I sat down and wrote that essay. Um, a lot of a part of me wished I had kept that journal because I, that the day that my mom found it, <laughs> I ended up burning that journal. So a oh. lot of those stories and a lot of the things that I talked about, you know. I don't have a you know a a record of that, and so mm-hmm. it was always in me. It was always something I wanted to pursue. I just didn't know how until the essay came about, and then I was like, you know what? I can actually publish this. You know, I can turn this mm-hmm. into a series and and go from there. So, well, John, we're <laughs> going to take our first break here, and then we're going to start to talk about that first manuscript and the and the other two that followed it, um, and we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back to Collections by Michelle Brown. If you're just joining me, my guest today is John Collins. He is an author, and we're going to talk, or he's an author and so much more. But we're going to talk now about some of the things that he wrote. Now, you took that, that essay, uh, that three-page essay, and you started to write. And Virgin to the Life, I mean, Virgin to the Life and its two follow-ups, they're pretty much telling about you. How did that? Uh, they're pretty much telling your whole story. I mean, were were you worried? You know, because like even though, like you said, you knew people knew you were gay, uh-huh. but this is telling your story here. <laughs> uh, so I mean, you know, what gave you the inspiration? First of all, to take it beyond that, those three pages into the first book, Virgin to the Life. And can you tell us a little bit about? behind it, what the story behind yes, ma'am. it. Yes, ma'am. So, Virgin to the Life, um, I, I usually tell people Virgin to the Life is loosely based off of my life, and then mm-hmm. the imagination of what, I guess, my ideal self was growing up. Um, 
I lived in my head for a very long time. Um, and I think a lot of artists do that, especially writers. We live in our heads and we develop these characters, or at least these characters just start to, you know, they get birthed and they, they mm-hmm. add their own dose of personality to themselves and you just kind of get lost in that world a lot of times. And so um, the main character, Jason Williams, is he is loosely based off of me in terms of um, him being a military member. Um, some of the things that he's gone through or witnessed, um, excuse me, that I've witnessed, you know, in my life, in this, in life, you know, as a black gay man, I kind of talk about those issues that we deal with, um, and so I just kind of develop these characters around my old ideal self, if you will, and that's how the series came about. So it's a coming of age story. I wanted it to be something. You know, along the lines of what Elin Harris, you know, and mm-hmm. Jennifer Hardy had put out, you know, just really showing what gay life looked like um, for black gay men in the military in a military setting, with the backdrop of Chicago as the the main city. Um, so, you know, you experience what it was like for his, you know, when you go to the club, and I just want to bring back all those memories and. Um, the places that we used to visit and the things that we used to do, the language. Um, so I'm really just capturing a period of time um, that these brothers are living their lives and, you know, coming into um, their own sort of history, if you will. So Now, you know, I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked. You know, we were talking earlier about how I talked to Eddie Pierce, and he was saying how part of his book is like that he – took a character and did it. Did you ever have people come up to you after you wrote and go like, man, was that me? Or, or were you talking about me? <laughs> yeah, because he said that he often found that he was, he was like, you know, no, I made this up. But sometimes, and I know I write too, and I know that sometimes mm-hmm. people will, where I just know that you're talking about them or have they looked at you and gone like, I didn't know that had happened to you. And it didn't, you know, you want to say, you know, it's based on me, but it's not. <laughs> not me, right. Um, there's definitely a great deal of imagination in my work, a great deal. Uh, <laughs> so mm-hmm. when people do ask me that question, it's not necessarily, they ask, is, you know, they always put me in Jason's eyes because mm-hmm. of the whole Navy thing. Um, so that right there, you know, people know John was a sailor. Um, John speaks like this. And Jason is kind of a mirror of, the man that I used to be when I was in the military. So the, the things that Jason goes through in the books, um, that's what I get questioned about. John, did you really do that? Or did you go through that? Or, you know, <laughs> my homeboy would come over and be like, um, hey, Jason. <laughs> and I'm like, boy, I'm not Jason. So, and I call him Darius. That's another main character in the book um, because he has some similar characteristics, but that's not him, you know. So mm-hmm. I get those type of questions, you know. Have you have you ever been approached by someone who could be Jason? I mean, someone who has had that military experience or was thinking about it and said, you know, was the military that tough or I've been through it and, yeah, I also experienced the same thing? Yeah, I get that all the time. Uh, military guys that have read the book, you know, they're like, oh, I remember going to that club, or I remember what it was like to do such and such, or, 
you know, I had that same experience, you know, when I was coming up or when I was stationed there or whatever. So I try to, I make sure that I put those Easter eggs, you know, in the storyline so that, you know, it makes the characters relatable and it makes the material that much more palatable, um, palatable, I'm sorry, if you're a straight reader and you, you know, may have, may or may not have known that your military um, colleague was, gay or not, you know, because they didn't tell you or you just didn't, you know, suspect that. So um, I also get, you know, active duty members or military members who, you know, were straight and be like, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, you guys, you go through that, you know, or certain things Mm -hmm. um, in the military or that you love the way that you do. I thought, you know, it was just all about the sex, you know, Mm -hmm. but to read these stories is like, wow, you know, I see a deeper, you know, a different side of what a gay man is and what that looks like. So that's Mm -hmm. pretty much what I want to portray in a lot of the, the work that I do as well. Mm-hmm. So then you, you went for, after you finished that one, then the, the follow-up was Sounds of Burned Silence. So yes, ma'am. where did that take your character? Uh, so <laughs> without giving too much away, um, and this one, Jason has started to really mm-hmm. set some boundaries and find himself. Um, towards the end of Virgin to the Life, there was, you know, an issue with him and Gary, who's the lead love interest in the story, um, that leaves Jason kind of, you know, questioning should they get back together or should they stay together and why. Um, And then he realizes there are some other things that he could pursue or, you know, other people, you know, that he can kind of step out and venture off with. Um, because at this point, Gary is really all he knows in terms of a relationship and sexual encounter and things of that nature. So it just kind of digs deeper into, you know, the lives of Jason. And then I start to show um, Gary more so in terms of his conflict and why things, you know, panned out the way they did in the first book. So. Now, the, the first title, I mean, it works. I mean, it's pretty, you know, it's kind of self-explanatory. But I love that one, Sounds of Burned Silence. Yeah. I mean, how did you come up with that name? I just love that name. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, sounds came up. I just, there are always these, in my relationship in the military, in, in my experience with relationships in the military, there are certain things that, you know, go unsaid, you know. At any moment, you can be shipped off to on deployment overseas to do something or go to war or your orders change and whatnot. So um, a, lot, a couple of the guys that I did have serious relations with, <clears throat> relationships with were not in the military, but I was. So a lot of things, you know, I couldn't tell them or they didn't understand, um, especially when I was, on a ship or overseas, there's just certain things that you can't share with individuals. So you develop these um, relationships with your comrades, your your shipmates, and you can express certain things to them that you can't tell your significant other or your friends a lot of times. So you get lost in this. It's like a tightrope sometimes of who 
you're supposed to be at what given time. And things get left unsaid, get covered up, or they do get said, and then it's like when they do get when you do say or express those things, then it's you know sometimes too late. And so that's kind of where with Jason there were some things you know that he didn't reveal to Gary about um, another main character, Darius, that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. where and it's you know the same thing. Um, Gary doesn't or Darius, but Darius knows everything about Gary <laughs> based off of, you know, his relationship with Jason and what Jason tells him and things of that nature. So it, you're just kind of being that, um, I don't know if I explained that right. But <laughs> no, no, it does. Because, you know, okay. like, it's like you said, you know, how it is, because there are those things, you know, that that, that are eating you up that you want to say but you don't say. Uh-huh. And I mean, you know, and then how you think about sound or sound is all about talking, but, but sometimes those things that you don't say that, that are burning you up and that are, it's, it's the elephant in the room and it's louder than if you were right. screaming and hollering at each other. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that's basically where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's really good. So now in poetic violence, um, is that how where you like? Is this the end of these of these of of Jason, or will we see him come back later on? So yeah, I'm actually. It's funny that you said that because I just wrapped up the manuscript, the fourth installment to the series this weekend. Um, mm. So I'm not sure when I'm going to release that, but it picks up. Each book picks up right where the last one left off. Uh-huh. Um, so I left a huge <laughs> um, cliffhanger and poetic violence, and it, it's going to pick up at the cliffhanger and, and just kind of express now, you know, what what happened next or whatever. So that poetic violence was just kind of the trilogy mm-hmm. to get every, get up to the, the main, the big climax that I wanted to get up to. So, yeah. Do the characters, like, sort of talk to you? Do you find that sometimes, like you said, it's not you, you know, but sometimes has, <laughs> like Jason or Darius, like sort of like you'll be sitting there and it's all of a sudden like, like, hmm, it takes on a life of its own and it's like they have a story that they want to tell and you sort of hear that and yes. it takes you to the next level? All the time. You know what, Michelle, I've stopped um, doing outlines for books now because mm-hmm. like, what I have in mind or where I want the story to go, it, you know, I look back at my notes. I still take notes. Um, I mm-hmm. just don't do an extensive outline like I used to. I'll just, I have like, you know, a little notepad where I'll just, I'll jot down little notes or um, little expressions and just kind of build from there. But these characters are always talking to me, always expressing, you know, something. And as I'm writing, they're the ones that are, you know, guiding my fingers, telling me, hey, this is what happened, and this is why. So, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing that, you know, and it's, it's, it's nice that your last book is called Poetic Violence, because you're also a poet, and you do, yes. and you are an award-winning slam poet. When did you start to do poetry? And, you know, it's one thing to write a story, but to get up there on the stage and do it and often in competition. I mean, what moved, what moved you in that direction? Watching the movie Love Jones. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. 
in high school, and that's why that's probably why I'm so in love with Chicago. I could not wait to get stationed in Chicago. I just knew that Chicago was going to be where I'd fall in love and everything um, which is going to happen in Chicago. So watching that movie, that definitely inspired me to um, get into the spoken word scene. And um, even in high school, just when um, my English teacher that I was telling you about, when we would read you know, Beowulf and um, um, Zora Neale Hurston and uh-huh. um, Shakespeare and even Toni Morrison and things that they just to decode what they were saying. Because, you know, Toni Morrison, uh-huh. she's, <laughs> she's pretty deep, uh-huh. you know. So she uh-huh. love it. And so to decode that stuff, it was like that really, it spoke to me. It was like you can how words can just be used in so many different ways. Um, there was is not one way to look at um, something that is, is expressed. So mm-hmm. that to me was very intriguing and got me into poetry. And then when I saw <clears throat> um, Love Jones and saw what they were doing on the spoken the spoken word set in in the Midwest, I was like, I need to be a part of that. And so that's mm-hmm. what got me writing. Mm-hmm. I know it's interesting how you talk about how the words can, because I know I talked to Tim M. West, and he was talking about he had a poem that he did it that when he did it like in a performance mode, he he used the line like, "Can you hold my weight?" But mm. when you read it, when he said it, it was people assumed it meant weight, W E I G H T. But when you read it, it was W A I T, and the difference, the whole totally different meaning. Yeah. That 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 piece went, and that's what he said. Like he likes to write, but he also likes to perform because it takes you the audience feeding off of you. They're they're interpreting mm-hmm. what you're saying, and sometimes, like he said, the way that they're interpreting wasn't the way that he initially meant, but it gave him something else to think about. Right, and that's what I love about it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and then, okay, so playwright, how's that coming? I, I mean, are you writing a play um, based on your book, or is this a totally different uh, story you're telling by playwright, as a playwright? So, as a playwright, um, I was on a collaborative piece called The Dingalogs that took place here in Atlanta a couple of years ago. Um, and this new police, uh, this new play that I'm doing now is with the collaborative partner Derek Tennille of Let's Rethink That. Um, we're working on something new. I can't really go into details because we haven't mm-hmm. really copywritten it or gotten the script nailed down to where we want it. But mm-hmm. um, it's dealing with the LGBT community. Um, it's also dealing with our allies in terms of, you know, what sexuality and spirituality look like from a heterosexual standpoint. Um, a spiritual standpoint in terms of, you know, what a minister who is struggling with his his sexuality, what does that Mm -hmm. look like when he's trying to uphold, you know, the values of the church and the moral standing of, you know, his father's legacy, um, what that looks like. And then from the female perspective, what does a – a masculine woman look like who all she wants to do is be a mother, you know? So we kind mm-hmm. of are looking at those various arcs and seeing how those lives intersect and parallel one another. So that's just a, a gist of what we're working on now. 
how do you, you know, give voice to a masculine woman who wants to have have a child? How do you, what do you draw upon? Um, life experience, that's the best teacher to me. That's where a lot of my writing comes from is, is based off of life experiences, um, whether they're mine or stories that I've heard and just kind of my imagination takes them somewhere else to ask the, the difficult questions that people won't either won't answer or won't ask. Um, so to write from, take, for example, in Dingalogs, because um, I can't really go into that character but, mm-hmm. <laughs> for the news um, project, but the, there was a character that's similar to um, the female that I just expressed um, where we took um, the character was named Parker, a female to male um, transsexual mm-hmm. that was that felt he was a gay man in a woman's body. So mm-hmm. we had to find people, trans individuals who had that experience and I'm big on energy and just kind of getting a feel for people. Um, and we interviewed a couple of people and just asked them the, the tough questions, and they were willing to, you know, you know, tell us what that experience was like for them and uh, from the, the process of, you know, surgical procedures to the mental to um, family to society to work, all that. Um, I try to do as much research about whatever that character, if I don't understand them or don't know something, then I always try to, you know, go talk to people, um, put the questions out there in social media and just, you know, just try to figure out life, um, just ask those questions to get to the bottom of the character that I'm working on. And then that character gets birthed and starts to let me know, you know, who they are. So mm-hmm. I think it's a spiritual connection on a, in a lot of, a lot of it, I think, is spiritual, and a lot of it is really just <clears throat> being forthright and asking the right questions. Well, you know, it, it, you do a lot of things, but what I like, you know, as I was reading and you were talking about the different things, and I was reading your mission statement, and it is true, like, sometimes people want to put you in a box. But yes. as you're trying to be that creative voice expressing and, and capturing the full representation of our community, you have recognized, I mean, which I think is great because some people will, you'll say, oh, did you ever try putting Oh, I would never try and do that. You have recognized that the way that you express it doesn't always have to be one way. And you right. spread your wings to, to do all of this stuff. Do you, do you ever get that? You know, like, man, why don't you just stick with, you know, the books? Or why did you, what are you doing now? Do you ever get that, like, almost as, Limiting, and what do you say when you get this ideal of trying a different way of communicating our stories that, you know, maybe you haven't done before and you, you're ready to just like, well, let me try this? Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a long time ago that the, the hardest thing to do sometimes, yeah, the hardest thing to do sometimes is the thing that you should do. So. Mm-hmm. If it challenges me, if I have a question about it, then I always feel like somebody else has a question about it too or they're thinking about it or they feel a certain way about it. Um, so why not figure it out? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think there's so much that we can learn from one another. There are so many ways, so many different ways to, to look at life and experience God that 
you know, we don't all have the answers to, you know, every question out there, you know what I mean? But somebody has a piece of the puzzle, so why not try to, you know, find that out? Um, I think the artist in me, the writer in me, just kind of, you know, I, I just expect to, you know, to always see things in a different, you know, form than what's presented to me. You know, there's always one. I think there's three sides to truth, the truth, your side, and my side, <laughs> you know, and uh-huh. then, you know, maybe uh-huh. what really happened, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So, you know, because, I mean, I have been on, I'm like on the cause in a, on a panel in Washington, D.C., and mm-hmm. there were a lot of, of artists, and there was like, there was a young man who said, well, you know, I wanted to do this, but then when I went to different publishers or different, you know, literary agents and stuff, they saw, oh, gay man, you need to write about this. You know, this is what we're, and mm-hmm. if you didn't have that, you did it. You decided to self-publish. Did you, did you get a pushback from regular streams of publishing, like traditional publishers, or did you feel, um, I've written this and I didn't write it just to stay on my computer. <laughs> Idealistic, <laughs> you know. I mean, uh, uh-huh. what made you decide to self-publish? Um, the freedom of it all. Um, mm-hmm. Initially, to kind of getting back to answer your question before, my dad um, had a lot of you know inspiration in telling me don't just don't get typecast, don't you know stick to writing one particular um, piece of subject matter or one bland character. So my dad, you know, he's in my head also, you know, when I try to think outside the box, telling me don't get stuck in a, um, being typecast. Um, moving forward to answer the question that you just asked. Um, can you ask that question one more time? I'm sorry. No, <laughs> I, I mean, what, what, made you de- what made you decide to, to self-publish? And was it, me, you know, yeah. out of necessity or was it – you know, like I think you you started to talk about the control and freedom it gave you. Yeah, there's a freedom in self-publishing. For one, um, when I started publishing in 2013, it, around that time, it was, if your book wasn't really about self-help or some type of chicken noodle soup type book, you know, those the chicken noodle soup for the soul mm-hmm. type books, mm-hmm. those life coaching type books, a lot of publishers weren't really picking up your material. So... This, you know, the best, the, the next bet would be to, if you wanted to get your work out there, make sure that you, you know, create the most quality product that you can with the least amount of, if, you know, with the, or maximize your dollar in, in doing so to pull out that quality work. And you have the freedom to really do what you want to do in a, in a lot of senses um, to make yourself stand out. Whereas if you, a lot of times, if you were to send your work to, um, Say you you got a publisher, and they want you to again stamp out that same format each book mm-hmm. that you put out, and not really think outside of you know the parameters of what they think a gay character looks like, talks like, you know, acts like, things of that nature. With self-publishing, I get the chance to fully express myself, fully express what these characters go through based off of real events or real situations that we go through as people. Um, and not these cookie-cutter images of what being a safe gay or safe Negro <laughs> looks like. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it gives you a little more freedom just to 
really be an artist. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, because I know I had um, spoken with a literary agent, and I thought, you know, we had been clear on it, but then they came back to me with our questions, which was sort of like, I said, no, I said, you're not hearing. You want to put mm-hmm. me in this genre, and, you know, I'm telling you that this is what I do, and this is who right. I am, and this is what I'm expressing. And it was sort of, and I, I hear exactly what you're saying, you know, it's like doing it. Are you ever approached by young, aspiring, African-American, same-gender-loving artists who sort of say, how did you do this, man, and, you know, and what kind of tips do you give them? Um, I do. I do get approached by people all the time, you know, to tell me, hey, I want to do what you're doing and write my own book and whatnot, and I just tell them simply write the story. Um, a lot of people feel that you have to start it from the beginning or that you have to format your book a certain way. The best way to, you know, get that story out, especially if you want to do it, is just write it. And mm-hmm. that can be day by day, post-it note by post-it note until – that cohesive work comes together. And then, you know, while you're doing that, start doing your research um, in terms of who you're going to get published through. If you're going to go through a literary agent, um, if you're going to self-publish, then look for um, individuals that can actually help you to self-publish a quality work that aren't just trying to get your dollar and just throw anything out there with your name on it because a lot of people get stuck in that too. Uh Um, (laughs) So make sure that, you know, you do your research on who it is that you're handing your material to to represent you. Because at the end of the day, after they've done whatever it is that they're going to do to get your book into a book format, you're the individual that's going to be, that's going to have to market that and push it and, you know, get it on book tour. Um, I also tell them, you know, look at, get your social media, you know, just try to stay active on your social media. I'm still learning that. That's something that I'm uh-huh. still working on, you know, daily. It's a, it's a second job, you know. Yeah. It can become a chore as opposed to being fun like it used to be. Um, uh-huh. So your social media, making these connections and building relationships with other artists and getting into those circles and making yourself visible as, as much as you can, um, those are some tips that I pass on to those individuals that hit me up. And I always let them know. Please feel free with any questions that you have. Let me know, and I'll you know I'll show you what I you know have done. And if I don't have an answer, I'll research it and get back to you. You know. Uh-huh. Do you ever you know I know that Jason is not John, but do you ever <laughs> see uh, do you, but do you ever in the future do you ever see yourself writing a memoir about you know John? You know, but the real story about, you know, everything from, you know, the look your mother gave you, you know, just your story. <laughs> and, you know, do you ever see yourself doing that? Um, God and Call Me Fag is mm-hmm. sort of the beginning of that. Sort so, of the beginning, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I think I need to keep something. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm, I mean? mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't want to give Wait. all of myself away. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think Jason uh, does a good enough job of being a, a, a representative of who I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you started talking about it, and when we we're going to take our next break, but when we come back, I want to talk more about God and Call Me Sad. So we're going to take our second break here on Collections by Michelle Brown with my guest, John Collins, and we will be right back. 
Productions by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here with author John Collins here on the uh, collections by Michelle Brown. You know, in your introduction, and one of the things that um, it is, you know, black gay people especially have often yes. have a love, hate, you know, <laughs> complicated, messy relationship <laughs> with faith and religion because we were brought up into it. It's such a big oh part God. of many of our lives. And to where often that's the first thing that came up. Like, you know, like when you, when you come out, they go like, oh, you know, what's going to, even though we know the choir master is gay and we've done it, but it's such a complicated, <laughs> it's such a complicated relationship. And I was reading on God ain't call me sick and how you say, what do you look like to God? free from what you've been called. And, you know, and often that's what you have to, to remind yourself, you know, like mm-hmm. God's voice can come into anybody's ear. You know, nobody has a, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, you know, he can come to you, you know, and, right. and tell you what you look like. And if you believe the basic thing that we were all created in God's image and likeness, well, then, you know, you're golden. <laughs> you know, you ain't no go- yeah. But how did you come about um, – with the title, God Ain't Call Me Fag. And what made you decide that? I mean, I mean this is a, a lot of people, they want to talk about a whole lot, but when they get back to that, they're like, oh, no, you know, they want to back way away from <laughs> this reality, you know, of our yeah, relationship. Yeah. That God didn't call me this, you know. Right. So what made you take this on? Uh, this was a very scary project. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will go on record and say that this was a very scary project. Um, as you know, I'm from Detroit. You know how, you know, mm-hmm. church in Detroit, you know how it is. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. you the gospel or R&B. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So I grew up in the church. Um, matter of fact, my family that's there, they still attend the same church that I grew up in. Um, my grandmother, she's the mother of that church. And so it was, the title came to me just, you know, I thought about, okay, what I'm about to write um, are a series, of, it's, a, it's a series of 12 shorts um, done in a journalistic point of view. That It's a call back to the, the journal that I burned when I was um, in high school. Just what would I tell my 17-year-old self? What, mm-hmm. you know, everything that I know now up to this age, what would I – go back and tell that young man um, and why. Um, what do I remember writing about in that journal? Um, so I, I had to go back to, you know, my 17-year-old self and just figure a lot of things out. And I put all those conversations, all those questions, all that anger, 
all that pain, all that PTSD into this book. Um, and, you know, I, I asked God, you know, my, well, actually my dad, you know, he asked me, he said, do you think God made you this way? And, you know, mm-hmm. I boldly told him yes, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard God in all my prayers, you know, say anything derogatory about my sexuality, tell me that this is not who I created you to be, tell me that, you know, out of all the things that, you know, I brought to God in prayer, um, that he, all the ways and places and, you know, ideas that he's given me and where he's guided me, never once has God called me out of my name. It's always mm-hmm. been man. Um, so you put God and SAG together, <laughs> you know, it's going to grab your attention. Um God ain't called me fag, and he ain't called anyone else that I know fag. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's a name that we we give a lot of power to, um, and it 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 causes this fear that we're a lot of times we're scared to address. Um, we hate the word, but we don't want to address the word. Um, so that's pretty much where this title came from. I just wanted to. You know, this is a conversation again of God and man. Mm-hmm. So they yeah, call me bad, but he ain't called uh-huh. me. Mm-hmm. Does it does it surprise you that you know we're supposed to have come such a long way? You know, we can get married and we're on TV, we're everywhere. That <laughs> that that still happens, and that there's there's still this complicated relationship that so many of us still have with our, either whether the church that we grew up in or there's many mm-hmm. people who are just like done with church, you know. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you have, you talk about how it's about self-love and, and feeling it. Do you find, I mean, is that surprising to you when you, when you, when you see how many people are still conflicted by this? Um, it scares me. Because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, just like with what's going on with this administration and how it's ignited or that that racial tension that's always been there, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. but now it's just it's vocal <laughs> again. Um, mm-hmm. It's that same type of angst, you know, I, that I approach. It's I don't know. It 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 bothers me. It it still hurts because people are still hurting. And so this is my attempt to at least, you know, have something, um, some form of dialogue, some form of literature that speaks to that, that we as a community of LGBT, you know, fans and loving, you know, people of color can get together and, you know, help heal and build ourselves and share our experiences and how we got through and, you know, pass on the knowledge and work together and, you know, really get ourselves to a place where we can effectively help you know, our heterosexual, our heterosexual counterparts and, and help to, you know, rebuild our communities. This is just my part to kind of get that ball rolling. So, yes, to see that, it, it hurts, you know, because I know what okay. that feels like and I've seen, you know, what it can do to people and lives, you know, so. So when you're out there and at the table and you've got your book, I mean, you know, 
if they didn't know, <laughs> if they didn't know, I mean, if there was some doubt from the other titles, okay, when they roll up on God ain't call me fag, they know. Okay. Yeah. Have you have you gotten any pushback? Have you had gone to something and they say, you know, man, uh, don't promote that one that much or don't talk about that much? How has within the same gender-loving community, how has that gone as far as promoting this book, whose title I know makes some people feel uncomfortable? It does. It's it's a title that, it, you know, I guess facial recognition and then getting the name, just continuously putting it out there, you know, kind of gets you used to, okay, that's that book, you know. <laughs> I wanted the <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I wanted the title to do that, to have that effect. So mm-hmm. yeah, it does invoke some type of, you know, oh my God, what is this about? Um so I get that, you know I've gotten one lady <laughs> when I posted in, in some group, she she sent a comment and she said, um, Yes God did And I mean it was like every time I would post something this same lady would come back, Yes God did. He did call you fast, you know what I mean? So I laughed at it. I'm like, well, really? You know, rather than you ask me about, you know, what this is about or, you know, you you instantly attack it, um, Uh the people in the community that, you know, see it, they either, they'll walk past my booth and like, oh, my God, you know, and I know they want to come and ask, you know. And they mm-hmm. stop and they look at the you know, the banner that I have and they're like and they but they walk away and then they'll circle back and then eventually, you know, they may pull me outside and be like, Hey man, thank you for writing that you know, I'm gonna check it out later and I've had a couple people do that, um, on book tour this year. So it's it's funny to see, you know, how it affects people because I went through those same emotions when I saw it in print and was like, Oh my god, I just <laughs> you know, when you, you opened that book and you said, I did this. I really did <laughs> yeah, this. Because <laughs> <yeah. laughs> I had to get over a lot of things that I, you know, I had to unlearn a lot of the churchy things that I learned about myself and what the gay community supposedly is. You know, it, it goes, it's, you know, it goes against the grain. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of those individuals, like I said, the, the, the facial expressions that I see, the emotions that I see, you know, when they look at the title, um, whether that be, oh, my God, you know, excitement or, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. um, I've, been, I've been there. So it kind of tickles me sometimes to see it. Like, you remember that night that you was uh, thinking about, should I really put this out there? You had that same look on your face. You know, just do it right here. Look at it at the title. So it's been interesting. <laughs> Have you had any discussions with clergy people about it? Not yet. Um, I have had people approach me saying, hey, I would love for you to come to our church and talk to youth about this, um, bring your book, or come and talk to our, you know, church members about this book. But I think, again, the title kind of scares me. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. maybe when they bring it back to their leadership, then maybe there's a little pushback there. I'm not sure. But I have been approached by individuals to come and speak about it, and I'm more than ready to do so. So. Okay, now, when your family has seen it, particularly your dad, you know, you and your dad are tight. I mean, I get tight, you know. What did, what did, what did he say? Did he say, uh, 
this one here, you know. <laughs> and then he looked at the other book, he said, okay, this, 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 but this one here, son, you know. What, what was his impression of it? The only person, I haven't asked my dad, has he seen it? I haven't, I didn't send, this is the only book that I have not sent my dad or my mom a copy of. My dad mm-hmm. has read, um, I think, the first two books. And then the sexual scene in Signs of Burn Silence was too much. Uh, yeah, it was too much for him. So he said, "I don't think I want to get into poetic violence, son." And I was like, "Okay, cool." You know, uh-huh. um, my mom. I think she's read the first two, and my sister. She's read all my work, so she's the only one that I've actually sent a copy to. Um, mm-hmm. God ain't called me fag. I don't know if uh-huh. they're ready for this. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. Um, yeah, How does she what, does, what does she think? I mean, that's like that she, you know, her um, her big brother. I mean, this is her big brother, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, how how what does she think of your career? My sister is very um, very encouraging of it. She's one of my biggest supporters. Everything that I do, she's oh, she's championing me on. So, um, she and I, you know. <laughs> When I finally had that discussion with her about being gay, she was like, boy, I already knew that. So what are we going to do? Are we going to get these chicken wings or what? Like, it was mm-hmm. just that simple, you know. Um, later on, like, I had issues when she had kids, you know. So when my niece came along, um, it was like, oh, my God. In my mind, you know, it's like, you know, heterosexuals call us perverts. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're gonna we're corrupting children and things of the nature. Mm-hmm. So. Uh-huh. Here's this beautiful baby, you know, at this point she was, um, I remember she was two years old, and I had to take her to the bathroom um, <laughs> to a pub- in a public restaurant, restroom, and uh-huh. I was like, oh, my God, like, what, are, what is my mom going to think? What are people going to think? Like, are you thinking I'm doing something to this little girl? Or, or You know, so all these emotions came about, and I ended up having to talk to my sister about that. Um, and from that moment forward, we just, we were always close, but, you know, she told me, she said, you don't ever have to worry about, you know, me thinking that. I know that you would never hurt uh-huh. my children, you know, and uh-huh. I don't think of you that way. Um, so she's always been, you know, one of my strongest allies. Um, even in times where I didn't know it, you know, we've had conversations where she's come to my defense or let me know, you know, somebody in the family or some something had happened where, you know, my name was involved and, you know, she came to my rescue or, or brought it to my attention. So she's always been one of my biggest advocates, and I love her life for that. How many years are, be, are between you two? Um, just three. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. You know, uh-huh. did, did knowing, having that unconditional love from your sister and what you've seen and all and all you've accomplished, you know, from that the kid who was writing in the journal who didn't know how people were going to react to it, going through the military, did all of that sort of reaffirm a lot of the things that you're talking about and, and God ain't call me fast? Yeah, it did. It helped me to see that, you know, God is bigger than what we've been taught. He's bigger than the the words of scripture that have been reduced to, what, 1,066 pages, <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, it's helped me to really see, you know, what my relationship with God can be. And I look forward to see, you know, how much more expansive that relationship is going to grow. 
So it's, it's been a, a tool to help me grow and become a, a different type of walk this life, you know, differently, you know, with my head up a little higher. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and it, it is. I mean, you know, and how, and and to say that, and like you said, you walk that and the way that you're living, and you've got this little niece now. I mean, I'm, I'm sure she looks up to you and, you know, and because of the way that her mother is with you, you know, you're just her uncle, you know? You're, right. You're just, uh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uncle so, John. Mm-hmm. So, well, um, what's next for you? I know that you, you, you've got a play going, but tell me what's, what's next t- coming up with you. Um, in the near future, next month, September 15th, is the Literary Soul Symposium. Um, and what the Literary Soul Symposium is, it's a group of um, Samson 11 men of color. Um, I think it's like four chapters. They're, um, they're a book club collective throughout the nation, and they get together annually to um, put on a what's called the Literary Soul Symposium. And this year it's going to be September 15th at Cal State University. Uh, Shirley Ralph, she's going to be the keynote speaker. Mm. She's also mm-hmm. going to be promoting, <laughs> she'll be promoting her book. And there's a series of authors, um, which I'm a panelist on, and there's going to be Yay. a series of screenwriters. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, screenwriters and directors there also to just talk about um, what we look like in film and theater. So mm-hmm. looking forward to that. That's coming up. Um, other than that, just, you know, Turin got in Call Me Fag and getting this mm-hmm. play together and mm-hmm. putting out this next book to the series. So. Mm-hmm. Are you going to – I know you're going to have all of your books there. Um, will you have an opportunity to talk about God and Call Me Fast? Yes, ma'am. Um, I will. So I'll be able to talk about the book, read a little bit from it, and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, of course, make some sales. So, yes. Yes, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that Shirley Ralph is just, like, outstanding. I mean, yeah, she does awesome. so many great things. There's so many great things. I mean, you know. Maybe she'll see it and read it and say, hey, you know what? Come to my church. You know? Or maybe that's just like, I'm going to this church, and you're coming with me. You know, that, I would that's, love that's to. Mm-hmm. So, she I mean, that diva. Hey, you know, she certainly is. You have a great voice, and I am so inspired by the different ways that you're doing it. I think that to tell our stories, you know, we need more people who are out there just sort of telling this is my real life, you know. You know, yeah. forget forget what you see, you know. Yeah, uh, this is my real life. These are the things that I, I'm going through. And with, with this latest book, that this is what I believe because it's the time for us to, like, sit in the back of the church and be traumatized by what they're saying up front and then go home. And, and I went to a conference a couple of years ago, and there were people who said, you know, like, how traumatizing it was to go to church mm-hmm. on Sunday, hear this, the, get, get the, the, the biblical beat down, yep. and, but there was something that they needed, you know, that they were looking for, that, which is why they kept going back. And I'm going, like, but your book is something that I think should be widely read and can help Thank people, you. you know, really hear, no, you know, you know, if, if there's a guy that can flame up a bush to, to get a message, he can talk to you, you know. He can, he can talk, talk to you, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Can't well, listen John, to what I, man say about you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, John, we're going to have to find a way to get you in some church. I mean, that's just all there is to it. We're just going to have to do it. Or, you know, I often talk to my friends in Chicago about us having, like, some kind of thing in Chicago where many of us who are writing and doing things can sort of sit there and have conversations about the stories that we are telling, the real stories that we are telling about our community and who we are. Yes. Mm. But please let me know. I would definitely be on board. I'm always looking forward to, you know, being a part of something in the community to uplift us and get us past, you know, the limited thinking that's placed on us, you know, so mm-hmm. definitely. <laughs> well, and people, if people want to, Find out more about your books. Find out when the next one is coming out. Uh, stay in touch with you. What's the best way for them to contact you? Um, I'm on Instagram as um, John Collins Presents. Uh, that's my LLC, John Collins Presents on Instagram. Um, you can get a hold of me at johncollinspresents at gmail.com. Um, the books are on, available on Amazon and iTunes and eBay. Um, excuse me, eBay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> eBook. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, paperback format as well. You can also contact me on Facebook or my email and get a book from me directly. I love to send out a signed copy to you and take all forms of payment, and we can go ahead and go from there. So just now, so they can they can contact you and get the books directly from you. Yes. Rather than go through that, rather than go through that. I'm mad at Amazon, but you know if it's going to go right. directly in, directly to you and get that autograph, you know, I'm saying contact John Collins directly. (laughs) Right. Well, John, again, I want to thank you for being my guest. Um, I look forward to hearing about the rest of the things that you're doing and and keeping up with you in the future. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much, Michelle, for having me. I appreciate you. This has been awesome. Okay. Well, you enjoy the rest of your evening, and I will stay in touch. I want to thank today's guest, author, activist, and playwright, John Collins. His new book, God Ain't Call Me Fag, explores the complicated and often contentious relationship many in the LGBTQ community have with religion. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.